Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. We are going to continue our series um, that we started last night where we talked about the equation of our lives. And we talked about how when Jesus takes over, uh, is, is in the equation, to, when we can say to live as Christ, he overwhelms the, all other variables and he changes everything. And today what we're going to look at is a very specific area that he changes when we say to live as Christ. And we're going to look at how he transforms relationships. He totally transforms relationships. If I was going to give my message this morning a title, here's what I would give it. And I think you can actually finish my title. Are you guys ready? I would say my title of my message is Shine Bright Like a Diamond. You got it. Yes. Uh, a diamond in the sky. Yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to start my my message slightly differently than I normally do. I want to tell you about something I read many years ago out of a C.S. Lewis book called Weight of Glory. By the way, if you're ever looking for a good book to read, The Weight of Glory is high up on the list. There's an essay in that book called The Inner Ring. And in this essay, he talks about how one of the most dominant desires of humanity, he would say actually one of the primary motivators of our life in the mainspring of human action, in other words, our actions flow out of this, is a very specific desire. And he calls the desire the desire of the inner ring. Well, what is the inner ring, you ask? I'm so glad you do. Well, I would tell you it's not easy at any given moment to say who is inside or outside this inner ring. Because the borders of the ring are often invisible. Some people are obviously in, and some people are obviously out. Then there are some people who think they're in only to the amusement of those who are actually in, but know that they are out. C.S. Lewis talks about how what happens is once you enter the inner ring, you discover that when you enter the inner ring, that there are more rings, yet more inner. And that you have now, as you enter into the inner ring, you have just, as he says, you've pierced the skin of the onion to realize that there are way more inner rings yet to be um, traversed. And of course, we want to enter the inner ring because we hope that that there will be benefits and profits from it. Um, We think, we hope that as we penetrate further into the inner ring, it'll give us power or prestige or money or privilege and the list could go on. We want to get inside that inner ring. In fact, sometimes people shake off friendships that could have been good lifelong friendships only to pursue other friendships because they believe those friendships could get them into that inner ring. You yourself, once you are in, want to make it hard for other people to enter. As others made it hard for you, he says. The inner ring exists for exclusion. There'd be no fun if there were no outsiders. The the ring would lose its meaning. He says, don't be deceived. Exclusion is not an accident. It is the essence. Of course, as I talk about this, you can imagine it quite clearly, for it's the world we live in. 
For some of you, to get into UVA was to enter the inner ring. I got into UVA over all your other high school friends who weren't quite as fortunate to get into that ring. And then when you enter into the inner ring of UVA, you find out there's other rings still more inner, and there is like the inner ring of your dorm, and the inner ring of your program, and the inner ring of your friendship circles. And then once you get into that program or into that club, then you find out there's another ring of leading in that club or being an officer in that club. Or once you get into the inner ring of the comm school, then you realize there's another inner ring of getting the offer of the job that everybody wants. And then once you get that job, you find out there's another inner ring of being the star person at that job who will then get the promotion and the list goes on and on. Years ago, there was an article in the Cav Daily called The Culture of Competition. And they talked about how there's hundreds of organizations at the University of Virginia, yet there are only a select few that most people really want to be in. And he talked about how some of these clubs have acceptance rates of less than 25%. We hope to make the A-list sorority or A-list fraternity or get into that scholars program or whatever you guys know what they are. Maybe to be a you guide or da-da-da-da. And nothing wrong with that if you are one. But a student as they were interviewed for this article called The Culture of Competition, says, honestly, it becomes a way to validate yourself. Well, this inner ring mentality is nothing new. In fact, it's as old as uh, the church in Philippi. Because the church in Philippi was having envy and rivalry and this kind of sense of inner ring mentality within the church. And Paul is going to address it in the passage we're going to read today. And he's going to say, actually, there is, you can't do that and be a follower of Jesus. That that's the way the world works, but that's not the way the community of Christ works. Because he actually goes in exactly the opposite direction. So let's read about what it looks like to actually be a part of Christ's community. Open up your Bibles to chapter 2 of Philippians. If I were to ask you a question as you turn there, what is God doing in the world? How would you answer that question? What in the world is God doing? How would you answer that question? Perhaps... Um, You would answer with many different things, but let me tell you how I would answer that question. What in the world is God doing? Well, I would give you this very simple answer. He is saving a people for himself. He is saving a people for himself who will then put his nature and his character on display and glorify him. They will embody his heart. They will live like uh, in, in, in a way that puts his nature and character on display and glorify him. What is God doing in the world? He's saving a people for himself. Here's the reason why that's a big deal. Because that means if he's saving a people for himself who will glorify him, putting his character and nature on display, it means this. How we live matters. Because it's fundamental to what God's doing in the world. How we live matters. Well, what we see is in the church of Philippi, there are some people who aren't 
putting his nature and character on display. In fact, fact, we get their names in chapter 4. How would you like your names to be in the eternal word of God as people who weren't getting along? Ah! That'd be rough. But Paul tells us Euodia and Syntyche are in conflict, and it has something to do with their posturing, their envy, their rivalry with each other, and their entering mentality. And so he writes chapter 2 to help purify the way they relate and says, no, Jesus changes the way we relate to each other. So let's start in chapter 2, and we're going to do a peruse over the entire chapter. I'm not going to read every verse, but we're going to hit the spirit of it. It says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Okay, so he says, basically, if the triune God means anything to you, then be unified. That's what he says. And then he tells us, actually, what will break the unity? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's a a definition of of selfish ambition. Um, Gordon Fee, who I mentioned last, uh, last night, calls selfish ambition selfishness with a tinge of envy. And it's actually translated in some translations, rivalry. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which just means empty glory. But rather, and we're going to find out what actually leads to unity in the church. He says this, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out for your own interests, but each other's interest, for the interest of each other. He tells us that humility is what will get us back on track. And then he says this, he, okay, this is how we get some of the most glorious insight to the, to the Christology. In other words, the doctrine of who Jesus was is as an illustration. He says this, have in your relationships, in your relationships among each other, he says this, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he tells us what that mindset was. Let's, let's look in verse 6. It says this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess on, on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Okay, let's talk about this. We get this glorious picture of Jesus, of the humility of Jesus. Go ahead and put up the next slide. We get this, the descent of humility that Jesus takes. He is the God of glory, almighty God. And it says this, That he didn't consider quality with God something to be grasped. So he, okay, let me start. Almighty God comes in the incarnation. 
And he condescends to, to human flesh. And when he does, he doesn't come as like somebody who is born of a royal birth. He isn't born in like an important city like Athens or, or Alexandria or Rome or even Jerusalem. No, he's born in Bethlehem. A town that of, of no high standing. And, and he's laid in a manger. What an act of humility. And then when he comes, he, he doesn't strut around, well, I am God in the flesh, and use it to his own advantage. No, it says he takes on the very nature of a servant. I was thinking about this. This is just like a mere whisper of what Jesus did. So this is just an analogy that starts to get us to understand this isn't, doesn't do it justice. But imagine Jeff Bezos sells all of his shares of Amazon, gives away his fortune, and then becomes a custodian in one of the warehouses of Amazon. That's just like the littlest whisper of the humility and condescension of Jesus. And then, he doesn't just take on the nature of a servant, he becomes obedient to death. And he doesn't just become obedient to death, he becomes obedient to the crucifixion, which was such a, a heinous thing that you wouldn't mention, if you're a Roman citizen, you wouldn't say the word crucifixion in the midst of good company, because it's so shameful. Andrew Murray, in his book, book Humility, sums it up this way. He says this, what is the incarnation but his heavenly humility. What is his life on earth um, but humility? Sorry, not by humility. His taking the form of a servant. What is his atonement but humility? He humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. And what is his ascension and his glory but humility exalted to the throne and crowned with glory? Can I give you a kingdom principle? Here's the kingdom principle. Humility always precedes exaltation in God's kingdom. Humility always precedes exaltation. And so we get this beautiful picture of the humility of Jesus. And I remember, as I said, um, my theological hero lecturing on Philippians at one of our conferences actually here. And this is what he said, and I've never forgotten this. He looked at us and he said, dear friends, This is the only God there is. This is the only God there is. There is no other. The nature of whom is to pour himself out for rebels and those who are spiteful. And as I thought about this, I thought, we're probably never less like Jesus than when we're proud. Gordon Fee said, if we followed the example of Jesus, we would change the world. And so we get this beautiful picture and then Paul exhorts them to live it out and, and, and he exhorts them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, speaking about work out how it plays out in your relationships with fear and trembling. It has to transform your relationships. 
walk in humility. And then he starts to get specific about what it's going to look like. Okay, so this glorious theology, he's going to, we're, we're going to uh, look at, get three points of what it looks to live this out, how Jesus transforms our relationship. So how would you start, when you start to make this beautiful vision practical, well, let's look at what how Paul starts out in verse 12. Okay, so this beautiful vision, if we want to live like Christ and, and follow his example of humility, therefore, my dear friends, well, actually, go to verse 14, because he, he says, we're going to work this out. And he says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. What? How many people expected that? Therefore, follow the example of Jesus. Therefore, don't grumble and argue. I mean, weren't you hoping for... Okay, no, actually, go ahead and put up the next slide. It says, if you want to emulate Christ, then grumbling has to be replaced with gratitude. Why? Why does Paul point to get rid of your grumbling attitude? Because grumbling is a sign of pride. Proud people grumble. Proud people think they're better. Proud people are critical of others. Proud people don't give the benefit of the doubt. Proud people always think that they could be better. They're cynical and judgmental. That's proud. That's what, that's what a proud person does. And so Paul says, if you're going to emulate Jesus, then give up grumbling and replace it with gratitude. Because here's what humble people do. Humble people are gracious. Humble people are grateful. Humble people are people who are not quick to grumble. They're quick to give grace. Let me show you how this works. See, pride leads to grumbling, which leads to arguing, which leads to division. Humility leads to gratitude and graciousness, which leads to what? To unity. Can I tell you something? At UVA, you'll actually be complimented for your cynicism. You'll actually be seen as being so smart because you could find the fly in the ointment. You'll be respected for being critical and a grumbler. But that's the kingdom of Adam. The kingdom of Jesus is one that is gracious and humble and therefore grateful. And, and Paul says this, this, okay, so as you do this, without grumbling, or, therefore, in everything, do it without grumbling and arguing. He says, so that you may be, be blameless and pure children of God without fault in the world in a crooked generation. In other words, you live differently than those around you. And then what does it say? Then you will what? Shine among them like the stars in the sky. Then you will shine bright like a diamond. Right? Like if you want to, to shine bright in the midst of darkness, have the right attitude. Have an attitude of humility and be grateful and gracious. And trust me, people won't be used to that. And it will shine bright. Wow. See, let, let, me, uh, let me put it this way. I want to encourage you to be critical of your criticisms. I want you to be careful to, be, to not be a grumbler, but be critical of your criticisms. 
Because we tend to think that grumbling and arguing are the small sins, but Paul says, no, this is actually the onset of division and will cause you not to shine like I want you to. So that's number one. We want to shine bright like a diamond and be attractive to the world. Then we're going to be critical of our criticisms and we're going to replace grumbling with gratitude. Secondly, he gives us an example of somebody who lives out and emulates Christ. And he, and he looks at the life of Timothy in, in verse 19 through 21. And, and, and he talks about how, uh, well, let's just read it. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. So why is he going to send Timothy to the church in Philippi? So he can be encouraged to hear that they are in unity. Okay? And then this is what he says about Timothy. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son um, with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. In other words, he said, but Timothy's different. He actually looks out for the concern of Jesus Christ. And do you remember it says, don't, earlier in the chapter, um, they look out for the concern of themselves, not the concern of others. Now he's saying the, to be concerned about others is to be concerned about the stuff of Jesus. And so, he, okay, you're like, okay, so what's, what, what is he asking Timothy to do? Get this, to go from Rome all the way to Philippi was a 2,000 mile round trip. So he's going to ask Timothy to go all the way to Philippi, a thousand miles one way. Okay, here's what you need to understand. They didn't have like RDOT. You know, there wasn't like Rome Department of Transportation that was going to, you know, that I'll just take, I'll Uber over there and then catch a flight. And then, you know, no, this was on the back of an animal. This would have been through treacherous roads that would be filled with bandits. This would be on, on, uh, to, to go over land and sea on ships that if you read the book of Acts, they don't always go well. Okay, so imagine that Paul says, hey, uh, uh, Timothy, I have a job for you. You know, there's a church in Philippi and they're struggling with their unity. Can you go check on them? Uh, I'd love to send you there. Okay, if you're Timothy, are you going to say, um, are you kidding me? Do you know how long it would take to get there? Do you know how far it is? Just so I can bring a good report that they are now walking in unity? Are you kidding me? I don't think so. I think that's totally unnecessary, Paul. Can't we just pray for them from here? Because God hears our prayers. And, you know, can't we just do that? But no, that's not what he does. Because Timothy was willing to sacrifice his comfort and his convenience for the sake of the kingdom. And here's the second thing, if we're going to emulate Jesus, that we're going to have to replace our self-interest with sacrifice. Replace our self-interest with sacrifice. If we want to be a community that shines bright like a diamond, then sacrifice is going to be necessary for our community to flourish. He was serving other Christians he was like, yeah, I'll take a 2,000 mile round trip for the sake of the health of the church in Philippi. I'll do that. I'll I even put, my, put some things at risk to be able to do that. 
Can I say this? Only someone with a Timothy heart will be the people who build the kingdom. Only people who have the Timothy heart, who are willing to sacrifice for the good of their community, for their, for their fellowship to flourish, where it's not all about them and what they want any given day, but they're committed and they're willing to sacrifice, not for their own good, but for the good of the community they are a part of. Those are the people that will build God's kingdom. Those are the people that will cause the church to flourish. People who do it all on their own terms when they want to, when they think it would be good, those people will never be the people that cause the church to flourish. But we are to emulate our Savior, Jesus, who puts our self-interests aside and is willing to sacrifice. Let me give you an example of this. There's a core group leader who was a third year who had a first year in her core group. And her first year signed one of those leases that you guys are going to sign here in a few weeks. First years, believe it or not, you're going to sign a lease of where you're going to live. And she made a bad decision. And by the time the end of spring rolled around, it was evident it was a bad decision. It was not a place that she could thrive. And so she was actually from Charlottesville. So she was thinking, I won't live there. I'll just move home and I will commute from home. But her, her core group leader, who's going to be a fourth year, had a single in her house. This was her fourth year. Yeah, my fourth year. It's my year, right? I got my own room. And she says to her core group member, hey, I think my room could serve as a double, so let me talk to my landlord. And I'll see if if they would mind if I turned it into a double for the year so you could live with me. So she talked to her landlord. She got permission, and she invited that core group member to move in with her for her fourth year, and she shared her room. That impacted the trajectory of this first year's life. That first year ended up living in the salt shack the next three years. And as she lived in the salt shack, she met her future husband, and today she and her husband are the directors of Chi Alpha at JMU. Because somebody put sacrifice ahead of their self-interest. It had huge kingdom impacts. And her core group leader now is one of the missionaries that we partner with in Zanzibar. How did it happen? It started with, I'm going to put, I'm willing to sacrifice my self-interest for the sake of others. Can I tell you how to start living this out? Let me give you a very practical way to start living this out. Be faithful to your core group. Don't just go to your core group when you feel like it. When you think there's something in it for you. Be a committed member of your core group and the community. And as you do that, when you live above your emotion, when you, when you say, I may not need to go tonight, maybe I don't feel like it tonight, but my community, I'm committed to these ladies, I'm commu- committed to the, these guys, so I'm going to go to pre-M&L dinner, and I'm going to go to M&L, we're going to do this together, because we're in it together, and we need each other, and I'm going to put myself into sight, and I'm going to sacrifice, because I'm a part of a community, and we're together going to build this community 
Are you guys following me? If you, that's, if you start there, then it'll be a natural extension that someday you'd be willing to sacrifice for other things in other ways where maybe then you'd actually let one of them take over your room for the sake, right? Where you're just giving up stuff and they're being blessed. That's not a 2,000 mile journey. But it looks a lot like Jesus. Of saying... Hey, I'm committed to you. We're in this together. And sometimes I won't feel the need, but I'm committed to our friendship, our brotherhood, and our sisterhood. We're in it together. So, finally, we get the example in this chapter of Epaphroditus. Who was Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus was a member of the church of Philippi who took the offering, that 2,000 mile round trip. He'd heard about Paul. He took the offering to Paul. And what happened was, on his way there and while he was in Rome to deliver the offering to take care of Paul's needs while he's in prison, Epaphroditus gets ill, so ill, he almost dies. In fact, Paul says, he, you heard he was ill, and you're right. He almost died, but by God's mercy, God healed him, and now I'm eager to send him back to you. He's probably like, I don't want him dying on my watch. You know, like. And so he's sending Epaphroditus back, and here's what it says in verse 20 and 21. I'm sorry. What verse is it? 29 and 30, I think. It says this. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And here's what Paul says, honor people like him. The third thing, if we're going to emulate Jesus, is this. We're going to have to let competition be replaced with honor. When you see people who are, who are living in a way that is emulating Christ, let's honor people like that. Let's not compete against them. No, let's honor them. Let's look for ways and places and reasons to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ as we give up our self-interest and sacrifice for them and give up our grumbling, but are grateful for each other. Let me tell you another story. There was a a first year who came on a fall retreat who was not a follower of Jesus. And she came um, at the invitation of her core group leaders. And she was hesitant to come. She wasn't a follower of Jesus, but it was also her birthday over that weekend. And the first night she heard the message, she went back to her room and she, she said this. She said, I'm just, she was talking to her core group leader laying in, in the bunk beds. And, and she said, I'm not sure God would want me. And her core group leader gave a wonderful answer. And she said this, he didn't come, Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. Well, on Saturday night, after the message, she goes outside and outside the, the room. And she says a very simple prayer, God, if you want me, let me know. And a young lady, an international student from Singapore came out and began to pray for her and said, God wants you. Wants you and his family. And that night, she accepted Christ. Well, as it was, her birthday was at midnight that night. And she walked into the meeting room, and her core group was there to celebrate her. Here's what you need to know. She grew up in a non-religious 
with a non-religious dad and with a Jehovah's Witness mom, which meant she didn't grow up celebrating her birthday or Christmas. And she walks into the room and her core group had bought a tiara for her and put the tiara on her head and put her in a chair and lifted her up in the chair and they walked her around the room and they celebrated her. And that young lady was Sarah Moss Fletcher. Sarah, why don't you come up here? Can you come up here? Hurry. Yeah, come up. It was Sarah. And that was 13 years ago? 12 years ago? 13 years ago? 13 years ago. And it was her core group honoring her. Now, here's what that did. Now, she is on staff. And you know what happened last year? She completed 10 years on staff with Chi Alpha. And the Bible says, honor people who put their, who sacrifice, who put the sacrifice for the kingdom, putting their self-interest. And I can tell you that Sarah is extremely talented. She is actually a published playwright who's been performed, her stuff's been performed on Broadway, okay? Like, she is brilliant. She has many gifts, But she has put that aside for the sake of the kingdom at UVA. And the Bible says to honor people like that. So will you guys honor Sarah for what she has done to bless our fellowship and bless the kingdom? She had no idea this was happening, by the way. No idea. But Sarah, we honor you as the Apostle Paul exhorts us to be people who don't compete, but honor those who live out a life of sacrifice over self-interest. So thank you for doing that. We are all blessed because of your sacrifice. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. I want to close this. If we are going to shine bright like a diamond as a community, this is a community message for us. Oh, guys. This isn't trivial. This is so appealing to a world of competition. When we love each other this way, because we love Jesus, because we're emulating our Savior, if we live this out, we'll change the world. This isn't found naturally at UVA. No, grumbling, self-interest, and competition is what's found at UVA. You know this. But we can shine bright as we say to live as Christ. We're going to emulate our Savior. And be people who are grateful and gracious. People who live with not out of our self-interest, but sacrifice for the good of our community. And people who don't compete, but honor each other. Can can we just honor a couple more people before we we close out? Uh, How about um, our core group leaders? Do you... They don't, okay, they don't lead core groups because they have nothing else to do. 
<laughs> they sacrifice their self-interest. They get together and they plan and they pray for you and they meet with you one-on-one so you can be exhorted in Jesus and they emulate Jesus to us. Isn't it beautiful? How about our worship team? Here's what you need to know. The worship team pulled up as I pulled up this weekend. They got here hours before us. They, they, they practice every Sunday. And then they come two hours before every Monday just so they can lead us to exalt Jesus and say to live as Christ as a community. They serve us. They, put, they sacrifice ahead of their own self-interest. And we are blessed. Can we bless our, and honor our, our worship team? John Stott said this, at every stage of your Christian development and your Christian discipleship, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. Every step, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. Here's how we're going to end this morning. We're going to take a few minutes. We're going to have one song at the end, but before we do that, we are going to take just a few minutes to honor, some, to honor each other. Not, not from the stage, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to thank somebody that, um, and honor them for, for their role in your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a core group leader. Maybe it's a, a, a fellow brother, sister, member of a, a brother, sister core group. Maybe it's a roommate. I want you to... Think of somebody you've seen a particular Christ-like trait in and go up and say, I've seen this in you. I'm so grateful for you. I honor you. I want you to, um, to, to go to somebody that, that, has, uh, that has been a source of encouragement to you and to say, you know what, you, I don't know if you know this, but you've been an encouragement to me. When I see you on Monday, when I see you at core group, it just encourages me. You're, you're just like a, a little battery charger for me. Or somebody that you just enjoy following Jesus together with. Can we just take, I don't know, five minutes and, and just take some time to, to say, yeah, we're going to be this type of community. Let's express gratitude. Let's honor each other. And let's cut the legs out of competition and envy and rivalry and grumbling. So Jesus will be glorified. Let's emulate our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.